can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus, uh, the end of 24. We're going to be sticking through mostly chapter 25 through, throughout the bulk of the message, um, but we're going to start there at the end of 24. Uh, so I want to catch you up with what's going on in this story. So this story picks up um, in the time of Moses. So what had happened is Israel had been slaves for 400 years. It's all they or their grandparents knew um, their whole lives. Uh, so now uh, God has provided deliverance, supernatural miracles, deliverance. They are set free, brought out of slavery, and are walking in deliverance. And if you want to put yourself in the story, think about your real-life situation. If the Lord has delivered you, if he set you free from a life of bondage and slavery to, to your own self, and when you were in there, it was horrible, and God set you free uh, from sin, and you're walking in deliverance. So the Israelites are walking in deliverance from slavery to the Egyptians. Um, and then, uh, not only that, but he's taught them about dependence. So he's taking them through the wilderness, through the desert, on the way to the promised land, on the way to the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And as they're going, God is doing two things. He is, he's, and it's all about stretching. It's all about maturing. He is... Uh, taking them to uncomfortable places. He's taking them to places where they're hungry and they're thirsty and they have need, but then he is also providing through great, obvious, amazing miracles. You know, there's a cloud of fire and smoke that goes before them that leads them. Um, uh, they get really thirsty, then uh, water com he makes, comes out of a rock. One of my favorite uh, pictures in this time period, which happens just before this area that we're going to read, is it's one of the times where they're complaining, they're so thirsty, and they come to some water, and it's nasty, it's undrinkable, and so they say, throw this old rugged tree into the water, and it shall be life for you. What is that a picture of? You know, their old rugged cross providing living water for us. So anyway, God is doing this. He's not, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, he doesn't um, always just give you everything you need immediately because it's more important that we learn dependence. So he takes you to the hard places so he can teach you to trust and depend. So he's doing this with the Israelites. He's, he's uh, graduated them from slavery into deliverance. He graduated them from deliverance into learning dependence. And we can stay there as believers where in, in that position of just, I'm, I'm, I'm saved now, thank you God, I, 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 I've been saved by the blood of Jesus, and now I'm just going to go about my life, and I'm going to pray when things get tough, and then if you take care of the situation, cool, then I'll go on with my life, and then when things get tough, I'll pray. So you can stay there, but there's more available for you, and there is more available for these Israelites. God already started establishing an identity with these Israelites. The world, uh, like suddenly had their eyes on these people that weren't even a nation two months ago. And now they're like a world-famous nation because of what God did through the miracles in Egypt and bringing them out. He gave them this identity. But he's like, I'm not done. I've got more identity that I want to bring you into and I want you to walk in it. And so um, he's now about to say, it's time now to graduate not only from deliverance to dependency, but now from dependency to 
honor and wait till you see what happens when you choose, because this part's a choice for you, um, when you choose, it's all a choice so far actually, when you choose to honor God, and this message is called the throne room of your heart or something like that. I don't know if I put it up there. Um, Anyway, so what's going to happen here in these chapters is God is about to call Moses, the leader of these people, up into his glory, um, and he's going to give them instructions on how to essentially build a throne room for God. You know, it's the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, all that stuff he's going to show. And uh, so the tabernacle, the Ark, and the laws that he's about to get, these are all opportunities for them to show honor uh, and appreciation to God. And then it's a covenant. And when they show this honor, amazing things are going to happen to them and to the world around them. They're going to be in constant victory so long as they are willingly um, offering honor. And if you think about it, um, this is a starting over point. In the very beginning, God gave Adam and Eve, who were sinless at the time, um, an opportunity. He provided this opportunity to show honor by making a rule. He just had one rule. And by following the one rule, they were able to you know, express worship and express honor. So this is a message today about expressing honor, like graduating from just this, the average, the nominal Christian life of, yeah, I'm a Christian and, you know, I pray sometimes, especially when things get rough, but, you know, there's so much more. When we step into honor, then the big stuff becomes available to us. Um, so I'm going to start off with, uh, uh, in chapter 24, verse 6, uh, 16, and I'm going to move on right into the next chapter. So it says, Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, um, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from anyone who gives it willingly from his heart shall you take my offering. So this next level that you can graduate into, um, this whole honor thing, this is optional, as I said. God does not demand to be honored, and theologians might fight me on this, but think about it. Honor, by definition, has to be offered willingly. And he's giving you an opportunity. He says, those who are willing, those who want to contribute, I'm providing an opportunity now for you to contribute, for you to go to this next level of honoring. And wait till you see what's going to happen. Um, so, but here's the thing. We were made. We were designed by God before we were even created. He had created this plan. He designed humans to be made complete when we honor. So God is actually providing an opportunity now for us to be complete, for us to walk in completion. Who here ever is like, I want to find myself. I don't really know what's going on in my life. You know, I feel so incomplete. It's a horrible feeling, and everybody feels that way, except for those moments when we step into the fullness of who God created us to be. And even as a as a longtime Christian myself, me and my wife were just talking yesterday. Like, there's, 
so much times recently where we're not walking in joy and we're not walking in the fullness. We feel a little empty and we actually recognize this deficiency. It's like, I need to honor more. I need to, God, God loves me and he has so much for me and I want to step into it. I was on the phone with a, you can ask me the story later, but randomly, John James of the Newsboys, I was talking to him on the phone and uh, the dude was like just overflowing like Fountains of living water. He was so full of joy. I was like, oh, I want that again. That's possible. That's possible for you. It's possible for me. And so, so um, we were made to honor God. And in the process of honoring him, we are made complete as people. Like you will find your meaning of life in this action of honoring the Lord. And some evidence for that can be found in Colossians 1.16, as well as many other places in the scripture. It says, for by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. We were created for this. This is the reason humanity exists. And we find the meaning of life when we actually step into it and we move past just this boring lifestyle of, I'm a Christian now and I go to church. Right? There's more. So I'm going to read the next few verses, verses 3 through 8. Um, and this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in them. So again, um, it's again, let them, not make them. Yes. Here's an opportunity. Um, so the next question is, where did they get this stuff? That stuff all sounds like treasure. You know, gold, precious stones, fancy stuff. Two months ago, they were legit slaves. Yeah. Not only were they legit slaves, but right there at the end, for the past few weeks before not being slaves, they had it the worst they ever had it. Like, they were getting whipped and beaten daily. They were working harder than ever with less resources. And now, God's like, hey, by the way, if anybody wants to honor me, like, I'm giving you an opportunity, and go ahead and honor me with all this treasure, because we're going to build something out of this. Um, and, and you might even be like, um, at this point, maybe you feel like the Israelites did two months ago, you're like, I don't have, if God wants me to honor him, I don't even have anything. I don't even have, well, see, you know, what you know where they got that stuff? God provided a miracle. Again, he um, had the e Egyptians, they're, they're slave people, the people that are whipping them. He had them give them all this treasure. They had seen the glory of God, and they're like, yeah, dude, just take it all, man, just take it. And, and he told them, ask for it. And so they asked for it. And, and like, they asked their slave drivers, uh, can I have your jewelry and your fancy clothes? They're like, yes, take it. Anyway, the point is, not only does God provide an opportunity for us to honor him, which in turn benefits us, but he gives us what we need to honor him. And you may question, like I said, well, what do I even have to give him? And God says, I've given you treasure Revelations 2.9, in any translation, um, but I like the way it's worded in the Passion Translation, it says, I am aware of all the painful difficulties 
you have passed through and your financial hardships. Who here has financial hardships? God's like, I'm aware. Even though, in fact, you possess rich treasure, is what it says. You possess rich treasure. He's given you what you need to offer honor. So we'll go to verse 9 in, in this chapter we're reading. It says, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So not only does he give us what we need to honor him, he tells us how. He has a pattern. He has instructions. The problem comes when we say we want to honor God, but we don't consider his specific instructions. And I think we do that a lot. Like, we might have good intentions, like, like um, you know, I want to honor you, God. And, and, you know, he probably appreciates your heart. But just doing something without looking at his instructions, trying to honor him, it doesn't, it doesn't always work out. In fact, it can sometimes lead to really bad things. Um, so just desiring to honor God doesn't desire him. Um, it doesn't, uh, doesn't honor him. Like, he has instructions. So uh, there's a story, which we're going to kind of get back to this story later, King David, and he, this is after they've created the ark and the tabernacle, and the ark has been kidnapped. We're going to look at it later. Um, and David wants to get it back, only he's following um, the world standards of uh, honor, and uh, they just have the ark on this, like, wooden cart, and God has very specific instructions. He says, when you carry the ark, you carry it on your shoulders because it's supposed to be like God's throne. So it's like you're carrying a, a, a king around and you're showing him honor. Well, they're pulling it on a cart. There's no honor here whatsoever. And then the cart starts to tip over and some guy touches it and the glory of God wipes the guy out. He's dead. Um, so anyway, um, we can desire, we can like have good intentions to honor God, but God has instructions on how to do it properly. And remember, when we honor God according to his instructions, we are the ones that are benefited. Because he doesn't really need our honor. This is for us. And this is the current problem with our culture. We magnify what we consider right in our eyes. Social justice is justice that is right in our eyes. Uh, the problem is our hearts are so easily deceived. We can't trust them. We can't trust our hearts. Um, some biblical examples of uh, how good intentions still create to chaos sometimes and lead to death sometimes. Book of Judges is one sick and demented piece of literature. Holy crap. Have you ever read this book in here? Oh my goodness. This thing is demented. These people... Two times in the book, in fact, I think it might even end with it, it says, um, and the people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Right? So these people are living according to what their hearts are telling them, what they are determining is right. And maybe they want to honor God, maybe they don't, but whatever, they think they're doing what is right. And sick and disgusting things are happening. Um, I'm going to mention one part without even going into the sickest part of it, okay? So there's this woman uh, and uh, her pseudo-husband, because she's a concubine, he, like, after she gets killed, uh, he chops her up into a whole bunch of pieces and then mails her body parts to all the various tribes of Israel. And, you know, he just did what was right in his eyes. You know, this whole book is filled with demented garbage. And uh, it, it keeps 
people just did what was right in their eyes. We can't trust our hearts, guys. Our hearts can tell us something is right, but God gave us instructions, and they're for our benefit, and we can honor Him. We can step into a new level of honor, and when we do that, it's going to bless us. We're going to be made complete, and we're going to know that we're walking according to a pattern that He has set to honor Him, and we're going to then be able to be a blessing to people around us. Um, So one thing that is not at all the biggest issue in the church, uh, we might try to make it seem that way. Side note, the biggest issue in the world today is just a church that's not on fire with love for Jesus. That's, that's the biggest problem with the world today. You get on fire for Jesus, all those other things, they'll start to work, work out. Um, but anyway, here's an issue that's very popular to talk about, and that's uh, like homosexuality and transgenderism and stuff. And a lot of us might have family members or friends that are uh, uh, into this right now or struggling with it in some way. And I'm going to talk about three groups of people. Um, So religious people will say, like, cut them off, have nothing to do with them. The world says celebrate their lifestyle. And both of these parties are saying, this is what feels right. This is according to my heart. Religious people are like, "I've I've got a set... Of, of rules I need to abide by, um, although are they really looking at the instructions? They're not. Um, they just have this sense like, I got to do what's right, and what's right is to just cut them off. And then the world is like, yeah, but it's, but it's love, and, and, and we need to accept, it. real love accepts everything, which by the way, it doesn't. Um, if you have uh, somebody who is um, c- cutting themselves, or they're, or they're taking drugs, and they're about to die, real love is going to like, appeal to them to stop. Anyway, so the third party is Jesus. The third party is Jesus. So what does he do um, with, with these people? Well, we can look at a couple stories, like the, uh, Zacchaeus with a woman caught in adultery. So Jesus is known as a friend of sinners. A friend of sinners. Like, not only is he a friend, but we see in the story of Zacchaeus and the story of the, the woman caught in adultery, that not only is he a friend, he's a defender He defends the sinners. He even defended the woman who was like just caught sinning and they want to like bring judgment upon her and he's defending her. He defends the sinner, but you know what else he does? He introduces them to real love and says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He introduces them to a love that compels them to go and sin no more. Zacchaeus, the dude is like a political war criminal, not a war criminal, but a political criminal. You know, he's a thief. He's a nasty dude. And uh, when he is introduced to the love of God, he just, he wants to look into the instructions himself. And he, like all those political problems that he was causing, they get resolved instantly when he's introduced to love. He starts giving money back to the people. Um, the, the woman caught in adultery. We don't know what happens to her, but he defends her. He honors her. He shows her love. He gives her identity. He gives her life, literally, and he says, go and sin no more. So he's, he's not defending the sin. He's introducing love, and there are instructions that matter, um, but, you know, this is, this is it. It's a hard, you know, thing to figure out how to do in your own life, but I think when we start eating up his word and we start trying to honor God, then we can start being part of the Jesus party. 
Um, so the unfolding of his word gives light. His instruction, it gives light. We are so blind sometimes, even though our hearts tell us one thing, we are often wrong. Um, I am, oh my gosh, I used to stand hard for things that now I'm like, oh, you are an idiot. <laughs> um, so in this next portion, um, which we're going to get to uh, later, it's going to give instructions on how to build the Ark of the Covenant uh, and, uh, and how it's going to be treated as the throne of God, essentially. And then the rest of the chapter and the next couple chapters give detailed instructions on building the tabernacle, which you could consider like the throne room of God in a way on earth. Uh, but in order to understand the significance of it for our life, we need to look at a brief history of the dwelling place of God and what became of the Ark of the Covenant in the New Covenant, which is today's times. So we live under the New Covenant. So here's the story of how it went from being this mobile tent that they're just getting instructions for how to build to it becoming a stationary temple and then to it being transferred into our hearts. So um, I'm going to start right here. 400 years after these instructions are given. Um, uh, there's this battle with the Philistines, and so the people of God, quote, um, are like, yeah, you know what? We can beat them if we bring the ark into battle. Oh, yeah. So they're like, in the past, over 400 years of history, there are testimonies of the Lord. When they're honoring God, they carry the ark out, and God brings awesome victories and stuff. Well, what's going on in those moments of victory throughout those 400 years is they are walking in obedience to God's instructions and they are honoring God. Well, this is a time period where they're really not honoring God. In fact, the priests that are serving at the tabernacle and at the ark are among the worst people in the entire country. Like they're wicked, nasty people. And, um, and then they get this great idea, hey, let's go fight them with this magic box. And so uh, they take their magic box out and they're like, hey guys, we got the box, you're in trouble. And um, so the, the Philistines, they actually say this. This is a quote from 1 Samuel 4, 7. Um, they say, God has come into the camp. Uh, and they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Because you start to build a reputation. God starts to get a really good reputation when you walk in obedience to him. And so God already has this reputation for when they were walking in obedience. There's the story of his miracles in Egypt, and then there's Jericho, and all sorts of stuff. And so God has this good reputation. But you know what happens? The Philistines are like, this is, this is trouble. Their God has entered, so let's just man up and hope for the best. So they man up, and they, they win. They win the battle. They take the ark away. Um, so, you know, they weren't... They weren't honoring God. You know, they were just like using him as a genie. He will not be your genie. Um, have you ever depended on your Christianity to bring a victory, but only ever experienced defeat? Um, perhaps it's because we're carrying an empty throne into a battle the king is not fighting, you know? We got to have the king on the throne. We got to honor the king on the throne we got to fight the battles that he's fighting. Not a genie in the lamp. Um, so anyway, a few years go by. Not many. This is shortly after this time period. And Israel wants to be like the world with a king that they can see. Except at this point, they don't have physical kings. God's their king. That's it. Um, so uh, anyway, so I, I wondered this. I wonder if perhaps the reason that people uh, church hop, hop so often, and I don't know. 
I don't know if this is derogatory or what, but I was just thinking about this when I was preparing this. Um, perhaps people are not satisfied with God as their leader. Perhaps they want someone they know the world respects, and obeying some dude is easier anyway, but finding someone who meets the standards that God can only meet is hard, so we keep switching churches to try to find the guy. I don't know, speculating. Um, but anyway, this is what Israel is doing. Like, we want a dude who's in charge, who's going to be awesome, and he's way easier to follow than the Lord. And God's like, yeah, bad idea. Uh, humans disappoint. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. So God's like, fine. So they get a king, and he disappoints. He's terrible. So, um, but then they get another king later, and it's David, King David, who's actually pretty awesome in, in some regard and horrible in others. But he's, he loves the Lord. So he makes it a priority. I like this. I, I wish this for our government. So he makes it a priority for him and his government to bring the ark, the throne of God, into the center of government. So he's like, this is my priority. Um, but that's not enough. David doesn't like the fact that even though it was God's idea uh, to build this like tent thing for the ark to be in, that's kind of like the throne room, um, he's like, I'm living in a palace and God is in a tent? Like, I don't like this. See, see David gets honor. He's like, I, I'm uncomfortable with this. You're really the king. I'm just your proxy. I just do what you say. You're the one who needs a palace. And, and God's like, actually, I'm not really in there. I'm, I'm like, earth is, like, heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. I can't fit in your little tent. <laughs> this, is, this is just for your sake. But because you get honor, David, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to build you a dynasty that lasts. And anyway, if you want to build a temple, I'll let your son do it. So he does. His son builds a permanent structure. Um, and there's actually a reason for that as well. See, the reason it was a tent is because it was supposed to be mobile because they were walking in obedience to the Lord from place to place until they got to the promises. And so here in Israel at this time period, they've, they've reached the place where the promises are so they can build a stationary thing. So big temple thing. Um, but now, here's where it changes again. It goes from a temple somewhere else. And so we're going to look at a few verses. Matthew 27, 50 through, 20, uh, 50 through 51. Then Jesus shouted again. He's on the cross. He released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split apart. Well, as we read through Exodus 25, we're going to see the purpose of that curtain because where they kept the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was called the Holy of Holies. And it's so holy that you can't even enter past that curtain until you've dealt with a bunch of other stuff. You know, this yearly sacrifice for your sins, for the sins of the people, and then you can walk in once a year. Anyway, Jesus dies, the curtain rips, the world has access to the Holy of Holies. Hebrews 10.1 says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. Later on in the same chapter, it says, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And later in the same chapter, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Jesus' his blood has made a way for us to enter into 
the place where we offer the most honor to the Lord. The most holy place. And then two more verses on the subject, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? So corporately and individually now, you guys are the throne room of God. So now that you know that you bear this responsibility, that this is you, and this is where the honor happens. The honor doesn't happen now over in Israel. The honor now happens right here. This is where we have the opportunity to step into honor. Now that we get that, let's, let's look at what God tells them to do with this throne he wants them to build. So verse 16 um, says, And you shall put into the ark... Oh, wait, really? Is that where I want to start? No, let's go back. Verses 10 through 15. Let me start there. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width, and, with a, and a cubit and a half its height. If you don't know how big that is, just watch Indiana Jones. And uh, you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside. You shall cover it, and you shall make a, a molding of gold all around. And you shall cast four gold rings uh, and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on its side, two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark uh, that the ark may be carried by them. Uh, the poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And so God, the first thing I, uh, uh, I want to point out here is that this thing is meant to be carried. The glory of God, the honor of God, God on the throne, this is meant to be carried by you. It's a burden you are to bear. Um, it's not to be left in a single place. Um, at, at this time, he's saying, you know, this is going to be moved around and I'm going to lead you where you need to go. It's going to be taken wherever God wants to go. So you, you carry this weight of glory, this honor. It's not an easy thing, but it's a worthwhile thing. And you honor God like you would honor a king on an actual throne that you actually carry around. You're going to carry this thing to wherever he leads you. You're not going to pull it on a cart. Moses said, just after all these instructions, he goes, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Like, I'm not going anywhere without you. And uh, this is like way opposite of what the uh, Israelites did in the time where they were fighting the Philistines. They're like, um, hey, let's go grab the ark. Let's go get them. You know, instead of like, wherever your presence is, that's where I want to be. So anyway, verse 16 says, and you shall put into the ark the testimony which I give you. God is going to give you a testimony that is intended to be part of his throne. When you honor your testimony, you will honor the king who sits on the throne. He's going to give this to you. He has testimony available for you. Moses did not have the testimony yet that God was talking about, but he's like, I'm going to give you a testimony, and you're going to put it into the Ark of the Covenant where my presence is going to sit. So God has a testimony for you, and you need to hold on to that in the depths of your heart, and you need to honor your king with that testimony. Verse 17, you shall make 
a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its width. The top of the throne of God is called the mercy seat. They don't call it the judgment seat. In fact, in the next few chapters, we're going to learn how the priests are to honor God by appealing to his mercy. God is a God of mercy, so much that his dang throne is called the mercy seat. This is the God that we can come to. He loves you. He will have mercy on you. Who cares what sort of sin you've got yourself tangled up in? God is a God of mercy, and he's for you, people. 18 through 21. And you shall make two cherubim of gold hammered, a hammered work, you shall make them at two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make one cherub uh, at the two ends of it um, of one piece with the mercy seat. And how far am I reading? 21. Uh, and the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Let's see. Yeah, that's good. So, what's, actually, you can show a picture of the ark now. So, it's sort of a probably accurate picture there of what it looked like, although I imagine the wings go in the other direction. But anyway, um, so what this is a picture of, now what happens is after they build this thing, God's presence is going to appear as a fire in the middle there, just floating on top of it. They call it the Shekinah glory. And... Um, uh, what this is a picture of is what's going on in heaven, in real life, like all the time. You have these giant, magnificent angels that are just surrounding the glory of God because the magnificence of the angels are, like, are nothing compared to the magnificence of the beauty and splendor and majesty of God. And so they are before God, and the prayers of the people are rising up, and there's all this worship, and God is the center of the universe. So this is what's going on in heaven, and God's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to participate in what's going on in heaven. He told that to Moses, and he's telling it to you now. You have an opportunity to participate with what's going on in heaven. You can honor God on the throne in the presence of the billions of angels. You can be a part of this worship and this honor. Verse 22 says, And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, which are uh, the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So God wants to meet with you. He wants to speak with you. This is where it's no longer just word. These words are beautiful. But when you start to hear the voice of God and God will speak his voice through these words. So God's saying, I will meet with you. You're going to have an encounter. It's not just dead words on a page. You come here, you meet with me, living, continuous living instruction. This is available for you. Um, so to, I'm just going to summarize the next few chapters real quick. So they're going to go on to say how there's three parts of the tabernacle that God's instructing Moses to have the Israelites build. Um, so if you want to show that picture, this is just a diagram. Um, there's uh, three main pl places. There's the courtyard, which is that, this whole uh, outer rectangle. Um, it's, just, it's just fabric over poles, basically, is the whole thing, even the middle part. Then there's the, the holy place, which is uh, uh, this large middle area. And then this part 
at the end here, that's the most holy place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. Now, this is actually a picture. It's a picture of what's going on in heaven, but it's also a picture of the three levels of your heart. So, right here is the courtyard. This is the part of your heart where you deal with the issues of the world, which we deal with constantly. Stuff just comes into our life. You know, God is welcome to the family. The car's broken down. Just, uh, we deal with stuff. Stuff, and here, here we get to deal with, we get to deal with the, the people that don't like us and whatever, and, and uh, here's how we deal with it. See, what, what is here is, a, is an altar, an altar, a fire, and what is here is, is, a, is a washing basin. So this is the place where you remember the sacrifice that makes you clean. Maybe that's something you're dealing with on the outside, on the out, part of your heart, is you're dealing with shame or, or whatever. But here, you can remember the sacrifice of the Lord. This is where the sacrifices are made. Here, you can offer a sacrifice of praise. And here, you are washed anew. You remember the cleansing blood of Jesus. So the sacrifice is made. You are washed and you are made clean. This is where the world gets dealt with. Then you get to walk into a deeper place a deeper place. This is the, the holy place. This is a place where you build greater intimacy. So what you have here is you have bread. It smells really good. The Bible makes it clear. You have uh, incense um, that also smells really good, and it's always going up. And then you've got candles. And um, the Bible tells us over and over uh, what these things represent. And, and basically, it's, it's Prayer is the incense, always rising up before God. So this is a place of prayer. So you, you deal with the stuff in the outside. You deal with the world. You remember the sacrifice of Jesus, but it's not enough. Now I'm going to go into greater intimacy, and I'm going to let my incense of prayer rise up before the Lord all the time. And bread is, is the word of God. It's very clear. Bread is the word of God. It's feasting on Jesus. It's the word of God. So not only do we deal with the stuff on the outside, now we're going into greater intimacy, and we're going to be getting into his word. We're going to be getting into his word, and we're going to be offering prayers. But then, but then this, the deepest part, this is the part where we're talking about. This is the actual throne room. This is the place of greatest honor. This is the holy of holies, the place of deepest honor of your heart, the center of your being. This is the, the um, place of encounter, the place of the living words we talked about, and we can get to that place. So this is the the thing that he tells them to build, which it's a picture of this. And we got to make sure to put like the throne of God in the deepest place of honor in our hearts for our benefit. So the Israelites had this opportunity to teach the world the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, the glory of the Lord, and how merciful he is. All they had to do was um, not... Uh, all they had to do basically was honor him. If they continued to honor him, like they would show the world um, the mercy of God, uh, uh, how, uh, how glorious he is, and they would teach him the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And we see it like over and over again. When they, when they are doing this, they take the ark out, and then there's great victory, and, and amazing things happen, and uh, people honor, and all this stuff. But then when they get selfish, then it all falls apart when they stop the honor. So we're going to see this in action in Joshua 3, I think we're ending in Joshua 3. We'll see. So Joshua 3, 7 says, um, well, let me just give you a, tell you what's going on. So Joshua is Moses' like, apprentice. He's the new guy. He's, he's the other guy. And he is the new leader 
of the people of Israel. And Moses is, uh, at this point, I think he's dead. And uh, God's like, okay, it's time. Carry the ark um, over. We're going to go into the promised land now. We're right across the river. Uh, the promised land's right over there. So carry the ark over the Jordan River, and it's going to part. Um, and I will defeat all the enemies on that side with you. Me and you, I'm going to be doing the heavy lifting. You're just going to be walking in obedience. We're going to, we're going to have victory all over the place. And so Joshua 3.7 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So by the way, this is a side point. God loves to exalt people for some reason. Don't know why, we're dumb. But he's like, dude, you exalt me. I'm totally going to exalt you. I'm going to lift you up. This is our God. So anyway, that's a side point. Uh, 14 through 17 says, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap at, um, very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton. So the waters that went into the Sea of Arabah uh, the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed over completely into the Jordan. So here's the deal. Carrying the throne in honor, this is, this is something you can do. You can carry the throne in honor, and you can watch the king do miracles in your life. You can watch the king do miracles in somebody else's lives. Are you willing to bear the weight for someone else's victory? Like, do this. So then, then we see it in Jericho, too. Uh, ch chapter 6, verses 8 through 9 says, So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. So this is a really weird story in the Bible. God's like, all right, I'm going to give you this land of Jericho. It's got these big walls. It's highly fortified, a bunch of armed dudes. And what you're going to do is you're going to have a procession around the city. You're going to have a parade. You're going to be heralding and honoring the king. You're going to be carrying the throne of the king, and you're going to be blowing trumpets, heralding in the king. All this honor and pomp and parade because you're just for seven days, all you're going to do is you're going to honor and glorify the Lord. You're not going to worry about the obstacle. It's all about honor. You're going to show off honor to your enemy. You're going to show off honor to your enemy. And then, um, you know, seven days later, boom, they win. Um, meanwhile, there's this girl, uh, Rahab, who's a prostitute. And guess what? She discovers the mercy of God. And she is like part of the team now. She's part of the people of God. Um, and here she had this like life of sin. It doesn't matter. He, she came to the mercy seat, the God of mercy. And uh, so the people, my point is in this part, is that they are honoring God and through honoring, like they're bringing victory, they're teaching the fear of the Lord, all this amazing stuff, right? And then here's where we're coming to an end. Um, I'm just going to read various snippets from chapter 7, 10 through 13. You can put up all the verses if you want to. Um, it says, so the Lord said to Joshua, 
Oh, wait. Let me rewind just a hair. Um, so the very next chapter, after their victory in Jericho, they then start to show contempt. Doesn't that stink about us as humans? Is we can walk in the victory of the Lord and then within a day start to show contempt? Darn. hate it. Um, so they start to show contempt and uh, actually I actually don't remember what happens, but it's something bad. I think they lose a, they lose a victory, I think, against uh, some enemies because God's like, hey, I'm going to walk with you. You're going to win every battle. Well, they start showing contempt, and they stop honoring, and they go lose a battle. I think that's what happens. Um, and so Joshua, he falls to his face, and he cries to God. He's like, why? Um, so, oh, uh, uh, ushers, if you want to get the kids, now you can tell them, because um, they wanted to come in for worship at the end. So anyway, uh, the, the Lord says to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Uh, oh, it cut off. Oh, sanctify yourselves. Whatever. So the Lord essentially says, hey, are we doing this or what? Are we doing this or what? We made a commitment, like, you're going to honor and I'm going to bless. You want a part of this? Let's do this. Let's just see the instructions, recognize the sin, take care of it. Why do you lie thus on your face? Let's get up. Let's get into action. And let's go walk into victory because this is available. This is an opportunity for you. You don't have to just live like you did in the desert, going from um, like uh, desert to desert, victory and then trial and victory. There's more. Let's walk in the new thing. Let's go do this big thing. Let's go walk into a big victory. I'm giving you the promised land. Get up and take it for crying out loud. So... Um, so this is my, I have two invitations for you before the worship. The first one is, if you're not walking in this yet, if you, if you want to even be saved, if you're not saved yet, if you don't know that you're saved, I just want to give you that opportunity right now. Our God is good. You saw all those hands that raised about people that were miraculously healed. Well, he's not a genie. We're not in it for that. He's just good. He makes our life worth living. And I want to give you an opportunity to just get saved. And he makes it so easy. He died on the cross for you. You believe and you repent of your sins. That's it. And, and then you can decide on your own if you want to walk in the honor part later. So let me just, if you want to be saved right now, raise your hand. And all together, we're going to pray for his goodness. All right, if you're online, it's available for you too. So I'm just going to say the prayer. You can say it in your heart if you're embarrassed. It doesn't matter if you don't want to come, but you should come up at some point. So Lord, I thank you for your salvation. God, you have delivered us in even a greater way than you delivered the Israelites from Egypt. We were totally bound to death, and you have set us free into life by your blood. And we are not worthy, but you are worthy, and so we want to honor you. Save us, I repent for my sins, and I want to walk in your victory. Thank you for the victory that you have prepared for me. Save me, oh God, you are amazing. Amen. And the second invitation to end this, and this is very spontaneous. I don't think we've ever done it before in the church that I remember, is we have a baptismal? Let's use it. Is there anybody here that's like, you know what, I want to make a commitment to go hardcore after Jesus, and I didn't even bring my bathing suit. That's how radical I'm feeling right now. I'm going to go get baptized today in the baptismal. We provide some towels, but you'll be sort of wet on the way home. You can do this. If you're uncomfortable doing that, you can um, talk to 
Pastor Gary, I guess, and, uh, or me or somebody, and we can schedule a baptism for a time when you bring a change of clothes. But if you want to do something radical and you haven't been baptized and you want to, I did bring my bathing suit. I will baptize anybody who wants to live hardcore for Jesus. So, but let me find out. Is there anybody that wants to be baptized? Raise your hand because uh, I'll take you out there. All right, you've got a few minutes to approach me. So we're going to take the next bit of time here to rejoice in our salvation and the fullness of life we have because of the opportunity God has given us to honor him and because his blood has made a way.